0: We'd like to thank Raze for being the presenting sponsor of African Tech Roundup's podcast mini-series on digital assets. Raze is a Bahamian startup that's using distributed ledger technologies, aka blockchain tech, to build a platform which offers investors and everyday people easy access to liquid capital markets. To learn more about this offering and to discover how to digitize your company's assets, visit getRaze.io. I'm Andile Masugu, and the third and final episode of this series features the UK-born Cameroonian co-founder and president of an award-winning fintech platform called Ovamba. Now, Ovamba leverages proprietary technologies to connect African SMEs to sources of short-term capital to fund their growth. My guest has spent over 15 years working in the management consulting, technology, and alternative finance sectors at firms like IBM, Unisys, KPMG, and Preston Gates-Ellis. She currently serves on the boards of directors of Active Spaces, AH Partners, the European Women in Payment Network, and the International Women's Think Tank. In this conversation, my guest and I discussed the importance of finding smart ways to ensure that Africa secures its unique and invaluable intellectual property. We touch on the overlooked advantages of adopting Pan-African standards for the establishment and trade of assets in various sectors. And we sketch the role that Africa's financial services industry needs to play in helping us all thrive in an increasingly digital world. This is an independent African Take Roundup production. The opinions expressed by me, your host, and those of my guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the presenting partner, Ray's.
1: Hi, I'm Viola Llewellyn, I'm the co-founder and president of Avamba Solutions Inc, a fintech platform that was originated in, founded in 2013. And we focus on funding African SMEs with short-term capital. Myself, Marvin Cole and Prashant Mahajan are the founders.
0: Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Viola. Thanks for making the time.
1: Very glad to be here.
0: Now, I've said it in introducing you before for another episode of our show, you're easily one of the most in-demand personalities within the, the Africa-focused fintech scene. Talk us through what gets you there from any point in your past that you, know, you prefer or you think might help sort of set the stage for some of what we're going to discuss. How do you end up being the voice for many for an industry that in 2018 certainly has just been all the rage on the continent?
1: If you'd asked me this question a few years ago, I would have started my sentence with, um, I'm not supposed to be here only because until you look in the rearview mirror of your career, you don't see how the pieces fit together. But in many respects, I think everything was leading up to this place. I've often wanted to connect with people. I've been involved in tech from a time when tech was not a thing that anybody considered. And since forming Avamba in 2013, we've been working steadily towards not just funding businesses, but using technology to do it faster, better, managing data. Um, My career has always been a blend of communicating and coming up with ideas that could shape an ecosystem. But if you're not the one that's in charge or running the show, you don't really have control over that. You just end up working in someone else's dream. But it's really great training. So KPMG, Unisys Corporation, um, all the way through different asset classes and ending up here with both of my business partners, it's a good place to arrive.
0: And so what would you say, as a percentage of the time you spend working in the space? Do you spend in activism mode versus, say, building the actual business?
1: I don't know if I see it as activism. I definitely see it as um, developing a narrative that isn't just about the industry, but the way the world sees our continent. And I would say I spend about 60% of my time doing that. Startups usually have pieces missing from their original jigsaw puzzle. I remember the days when Marvin and I started this business, there was no Prashant back then, and we had no fin and no tech. We had a bunch of ideas, so I suppose we were 100% evangelists at that time. But since then, of course, we have a notable track record but there's plenty of tech and plenty of fins and now we have the third balancing uh, piece of our tripod here and that is Prashant that gives me the ability to do what I'm best at and as I was saying some um, startups will either have the technology, the finance and no leader, no salesperson. the narrative has to be made it has to be tangible and I'm the person who actually sits between how the technology is strategized and delivered to people and how they experience it and how we literally create ux out of um, our mission and our values and our story
0: i've heard you say or reference you know how poorly we are dealing with perhaps even acknowledging registering exchanging our ip as you know africa corporately and i've heard you speak to how you see your role in Ovamba and generally as helping us to claim, assign value to and put ourselves in a position to trade value with the rest of the world based on IP that we might not even recognize as IP as a, as a continent or players within the continent, individuals, corporations, SMEs, what have you. Speak to that. I've been
1: saying that. this for years. Um, it's very simple. Anytime your body is used to make something especially in manufacturing industry, where you go from something that's extractive, like, let's say, shea butter, you'll reach a point in its monetization where frequently women are left out. We've done all the seeding, the planting, and the pulling, and then there's transformation, exportation, further transformation, comes back in, sold, and then maybe it's the women that are buying the majority of it because women are the ones that control disposable income. At some point in time, we need to push that value point further in, and it always... It used to occur to me that why are we not able to control the value of the things that we produce? Now, on the other hand, if the things that you make come from inside your mind, the ability to replicate it, license it, and assign value to it is much easier. It's not bound by time and space. And this is where we are with digital assets right now. At the time that I had these thoughts, I didn't have this language for it, but the minute I started to see... And compare what goes on in, in the in the Western and the developed world compared to us. It began to dawn on me: we don't even have industries to address it, uh, the legal people to put in place. People think in terms of trademark, but they don't know how to assign actual value and protect that. This is really important because many things do come from our continent.
0: Yeah, and so when you say you know you first came to this to this notion, when, how long ago was that, and and what had sort of sparked your? your consciousness of this dynamic
1: about seven eight years ago before there was a vamba marvin and i were working together and anytime i spoke to people africans or those in the diaspora and ask well what do you do and they'll say vaguely oh i'm in business what kind of business are you in oh i am um, I, I build houses i'm in real estate that's not real business they can't be extended and monetized. As we once had a conversation, there isn't even a secondary market for the sale of that house to somebody else where we are in Cameroon. So the value has a finite ending and it doesn't go much further than that. That really bothered me because I thought about the number of individuals who might want to invent something, but where is the ecosystem for them to be able to do that, protect it? pay for it or sell it on to somebody else or license it. We have a lot of issues with fake things or um, Yeah, medicine for instance, yeah. Yeah, Crazy. There's no structure around it. And I began to realize back then that these are the indicators when... A business or a country or even a society is beginning to develop and grow you'll see IP monetization you'll see asset management and then you'll start to see people willing to pay for the intangible or people beginning to understand how it applies in their real world and we still have a long way to go yeah and it's exciting
0: so I worry that um, we're, we're far behind the curve in terms of where we should be or could be as a continent as far as basics like financial literacy. And so the fourth industrial revolution finds us in the state of unreadiness. And it occurs to me that this whole new wave of digital assets as a as a class or even as, as an idea, as an imaginary, are we even in a position to assert given how far behind we are? What, what do you say to people who, who reckon, I mean, I've heard policymakers even say, this isn't up on my list as an agenda item, you know, as a priority.
1: They are definitely behind the curve. We need to change the wheels on the wagon. I don't believe that policy should be driving anything of this nature. It's not worked in the past. It doesn't work now. Um, We don't even have industries within governments to, to manage this or even to ask questions, intelligent questions about this. Policy and government should be following the will of markets and technology, especially when it is in the service of furtherance. Right. Governance is so important in all of this and it is sorely missing in some places. Yeah. I hear you say that we're behind the curve. In some ways we're ahead of the curve right. in terms of innovation. I've been
0: I've been set straight on this so many times. I suppose I have such a, a rigid sense of where we could or should be by now.
1: Where we should be? Yeah. By some step, okay, let's say we were going to go back to the dawn of time yeah. and take a look at everything that was created in Timbuktu and even um, different groups that created written language that have disappeared today. We're ahead of the curve.
0: There's been an interruption in our history Absolutely. and not so much a gotcha.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I've actually spoken about this before, about how do we quantify the value of the intellectual property that has gone missing wow. from our continuum if we were to calculate what would have been possible in the, let's call it four or five hundred years, where we were not producing value, creating and innovating things, inventing things, selling it to the world. There has been a good five hundred years where things didn't happen, so we've missed the um, the momentum of that arc. That could be quantified in some ways, and it would be staggering.
0: It might be similar arithmetic being applied, certainly algebra or something more complex, to to the thinking behind behind the, the the recently launched African digital asset framework one, yeah. I think in promoting the story of what's possible if we start to collaborate on standards and a framework based on the opportunity cost of you know not harnessing what makes us great as a continent and our greatest asset being and our greatest assets being IP. Yes we have the, the resources yes and you know we have you know amazing farmlands you often animals, said that
1: our greatest resource are the number of mines, besides all our in-the-ground resources. There are these 1.2 billion human beings, all of these individual brains that are capable of answering the need to innovate, whether it is personally, in a group, in their villages, in their cities, whatever the case may be. And I always say, 2050, you're going to have one-third of the world's population living on the African continent. If all of those brains and minds were primed as a pump to produce um, digital assets of one form, shape or another, even if they themselves, as a digital character online, to be counted, we are worth a heck of a lot. There is a need to create ring fences around all of these with gateways for how we control interaction across these different platforms. The human beings is where I keep on coming back to because you can't really uncouple ourselves from it. There's either you're inputting it or receiving it, being affected by it, impacted by it, derailed by it. It's, there are human beings at play here. Our continent stands in a place where it could either go really, really well or not so well.
0: Right, so you have this unique privilege of having a front row seat to how legacy institutions are facing up to the democratizing of what they've so far enjoyed uh, i suppose Unfettered what I mean.
1: enjoyment yeah of areas and systems as legacy holders where they had no precedence to put them in check or to push them to do better yeah i this mean this monopolies new, essentially yeah. in many
0: cases and um, monopolies
1: were celebrated yeah now we celebrate unicorns right totally different
0: wow Potato, potato.
1: Ah, uh, incumbents and newcomers.
0: So then given what Ovamba has done and is doing in the space and given how a lot of the people you're looking to both collaborate with and do business with would rather in pure economic terms not have you in the picture. Oh yeah? And I mean in, in, in real terms. It's, it's, just, it's just a lot easier to do things the way things have been done. Certainly, I mean, without interesting aspirational types like you trying to bust in on the party. So given all that, like, what do you make of the reality we should expect as as we sort of act on the aspiration to bust in on the the penthouse floor
1: so we've got uh, glass ceilings to crack, busting in on the penthouse floor, interrupting the all-boys disco network. Yep. There's a whole bunch of yep. different things, and it leads us to believe that we're all locked inside boxes or inside rooms or inside elevators or stuck on ladders, right? Right. Uh, so if I were to put on my evangelist hat, I see Ovamba as both enabler and disruptor. We've got to put ourselves in a situation where, as I've, been, I've said before, we can break into the banks and we can help them to become better. The problem is the banks have human beings in them whose positions are incredibly vaulted and highly protected. Banks are not designed to innovate or to change. They are ancient bastions of uh, trust and control. So they don't know how to distribute and share power, and they will protect that forever. Now we can come in and say, we're going to help you to get some new tools so that you can get more of the people that you want. But within the risk context of Africa. That's a very difficult story to tell. Or we can come in and say we're going to keep on taking customers from you because you're putting us in a situation where, and this goes for many fintechs, you're not allowing for the underbanked, unbanked, unserved to climb the ladder to crack through these ceilings of prosperity to become a different type of customer for you because you don't know how to manage risk or graduate people to those levels. They've still got their, their blindfolds on. So, as it relates to the intellectual property and the digital assets of all of these individuals that we serve, banks have yet to figure out that the data will become as important as the customer. The customer is the conduit to the data, there's data inherent in the human being that opens a bank account with you and begins to interact across your platform to conduct business. African banks need to figure out how that works, but they're still kind of rudimentary, and that's hard for them.
0: And what do you make of African citizens who aren't aware all of this is going on.
1: Well, let's look at what Michael Porter says in Competitive Advantage, one of my favorite books from back in the day. There will have to be an extreme, let's say, swing to the right for people to join us in the middle. So there's the earlier doctors who get it, but they're not your market shifters. They're just market markers. And then you'll have those people who start to see where things are going and how it works. And then they will jump in at the safest end of the pool. The uh, the individuals who are early adopters will be the ones to explain to people why they ought to do something. I heard a beautiful comment the other day where somebody said the idea of blockchain, digital assets, and anything else will become easily adoptable when an African understands what relationship it has to eating fufu. <laughs> so right. we have to Contest. bring yeah context. You have to bring things down to why should you care. Now, not everywhere has got data protective rights. So some people don't understand that they themselves have value within these greater constructs and wouldn't know what to protect or why. They might not want you looking inside their wallet, they might not want you knowing how much money they've got in the bank, they certainly don't want you to know how much taxes they ought to be paying. At that level, they get that. But when they begin to see their value to um, homegrown African vendors of products and services who need and desire them and create an environment where this two-way street of I do something for you, you do something to me, give me your data and I'll provide you with a tool. Give me your data and I'll give you easy access to a product. Give me your data and I'll make it slightly cheaper for you. Give me your data and I will stay with you for the long haul. Especially when culturally I'm talking about Francophone Africa now. Partnerships are made to be broken within about three years. So we keep getting these discontinuations in the continuing, whereas they could be building things together. We need to bring things into our our cultural nuance and have people change their behavior because they see the value. And
0: then I know you're a huge fan of standards and the potential of standards really Mm -hmm. to eradicate the chaos that has too often become a customer. It's so disruptive. Yeah, that has just become, you know, synonymous with dealing in African markets, which many people find very profitable to maintain, actually.
1: The incumbents find it comfortable.
0: Yeah, it's actually... The incumbents
1: don't want any digital assets. They don't want to be able to identify things outside of the realm of... Paper, pen, and a stamp, and a cachet and their fancy little signature. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, you know, make an argument for, or maybe explain how standards, you know, or the um, consensus yeah. around standards within the digital asset space, how that might uh, put us in a position as a regional block. You know, when I say reason, I mean literally continent-wide, you know. I'm going to
1: take it to a tangible help. 3D mm. reality. Yeah. And forgive me if this sounds like it's meandering. Sure. I've often joked that I want to be the minister of stairs in Cameroon <laughs> because I haven't found a single building where from floor to floor the stairs are even. There is no such thing as building to code where people go and find out what is the standard for how this thing has to be constructed. I can have my creative license, but there will be a sturdiness and a dependability to the thing I am constructing. And does it belong in this particular place? Will it create efficiencies, let's say, in traffic or in the human experience of this building? So in Cameroon, if you walk up and down the stairs, there are different heights throughout the one flight they will be crooked they're not plumbed they're off kilter they're a mess how does this affect The price of tiles, for example. If you know what the standard is going to be for you to build a house of a certain square footage, then you will know how many tiles you need to purchase. If you know how many tiles you need to purchase and you build it just right, you will not have all of this waste of capital and product left over that just gets thrown away in a country where they don't even have proper, we've got Hezekan, but disposal of goods. If we'd had standards, there would be efficiency then people would understand how much money to borrow and banks would have a dependable algorithm for how much money do you need to build a house of such and such size sort of, when from a the project yeah. planning standpoint project, project planning how do you you yeah. project
0: what a project's going to cost if you can can't. You can't. You can't even manage the tiles.
1: You can't even manage the tiles. You can't even manage the height. You can't even create a a metric relationship between how many people are likely to fall down because of these these problems with these stairs. So you can't manage risk. You can't manage risk. You can't go to an insurance company and say, this is the digital outlay for how many people fall down on this kind of stair. But if you adhere to the code, you will reduce the falls and you'll have less claims. Not that they even pay out on claims half the time. They don't have the um, was the actuarial records that belong in the real world projected into the virtual world. So it's a really tiny thing. Add that to medicine, add that to flight tracking, add that to all the other areas of technology that we want to bring in place. Look at the youth who are now uh, innovating, writing code, and trying to do things. Do they have the ability to say, I'm going to pull the the tabular records that say that X, Y, and Z will always be the case, so that when I build and they say, how well do you think your product is going to be adopted in the future? Well, I know that. Imagine sitting down with a PE investor, and they say, well, how do you know this? You can't say, well, you know, I really feel like it. They ain't got no records to support it.
0: We're taking a quick break to tell you a little more about the presenting sponsor for the series, RAISE. RAISE is a founding member of the African Digital Asset Framework, or ADAF for short. ADAF is the first open-source software platform to create transnational standards for digital assets and distributed ledger technologies, in line with Pan-African Development Objectives. ADAF intends to complement the African Union's Single Africa Digital Market Initiative, which seeks to stimulate digitized pan-African economic integration. Rays, along with Kotani and Alba.one, are proud to be co-trustees in and supporters of the African Digital Asset Framework. To find out more and to get involved with this groundbreaking open-source initiative, visit adaf.io. That's A-D-A-F dot I-O. And now, back to the conversation. I'm just thinking, you know, even in terms of, say, modeling, cost modeling for for public health, is it any wonder then that governments aren't in a position, even when the funds are present, the means are present, to deliver good healthcare, for example, or education, for instance?
1: Because they don't have um, the ability to take a look at how assets are performing in that space, number one, what happens to them. They can't add um, AI to figure out what happens when we model it further, spin it out. So they create all of these 50-year plans. That
0: are based literally on conjecture. You, you also just, I suppose by accident, shared in some way the argument for policymakers to buy into this process because I know that a lot of policymakers, lawmakers, politicians in general, think of any initiatives around this, crowdsourcing consensus around standards and frameworks. They think of that as actually undermining their, their role their, yes, in, in, in governance. Yes, because
1: they want to dictate what ought to be. Um, things like, and we're talking about, Again, digital assets and on the individuals themselves. For let's take for example. It's very difficult to know how much somebody's net worth is. However, just the other day I read that the government of Finland makes everybody's tax records available to everybody in a public ledger. Years ago, before there was a Vamba, Marvin and I tried to create a pledge fund whereby we would be able to extrapolate people's worth in order to figure out how to do a private equity investment that didn't necessarily have capital in it immediately, but was based on people committing to invest in an opportunity or a set of opportunities in a portfolio. There were no records that we could find to prove how much people were worth, to say how much the market was worth, how many people would want to put their disposable income in there. They're not doing it. Let's take a look at um, young rappers in Africa right now and musicians. Uh, those of them who have ringtones that are downloaded, There's a value assigned for that. Who's calculating how many they have on that? Who's building their wealth based on that? Those who have their music downloaded only. Those who have videos that they've homemade and put out there. They have a digital footprint. And if you ask them, how much is your worth going to be over the next couple of years based on where you are now? It's not calculated. But somebody has to architect how we develop the worth around these things. What's the value of it?
0: And and harness that information to make the decisions that basically promote the economic good.
1: There are so many ways in which to figure out how wealthy something is, both tangibly yeah. and intangibly, and all of the matter in the 4IR is going to be meaningful. It's going to change how accounting is done. It's going to change how uh, records are kept. It's going to do an awful lot. And I've often said, are we ready? You asked the question in the middle of this conversation. The world cannot afford for Africa not to be ready. That's going to be a massive bill to write for the inefficiencies that will spill out of our borders into the rest of the world while trying to interact independently over virtual networks.
0: So as an active entrepreneur, founder, what's your filter for maintaining sort of a pragmatic outlook? You know, because you have to run a business but also working towards a future that we're all not ready for or isn't here yet. Like how yeah. do you how do you balance those two things? Or, or maybe they're the same thing for you, I don't know.
1: We build our business from a solution standpoint yeah. and we've had to teach our staff how to sell solutions and not keep on defining the problem. But when you build solutions that work, they produce other um, secondary opportunities sometimes. So we have to build our business balanced on being bold enough to have a vision for where we are going to be and where the world is going to be. Some of it you'll get right, some of it that you won't. But when you are the ecosystem builder, you're in a pretty lofty position. I don't know that the world knew that they needed iPhone before iPhone was built. They created a desire. Desire is very emotive for buying and for wanting inclusion. Mm. You create something, that tells people you desire this because this is how it's gonna make you feel and this is what it's gonna do for you. With our customers in November, our challenges are the same as theirs. We're an SME to a degree, we're a business trying to exist within Africa's ecosystem. We know the challenges to the environment when we're trying to get ahead with rapidity. Some of our customers have the same issue. We desire a close intimate relationship with customers over a digital platform gets sticky just in itself. And if you can find a way to get customers to speak to you, interact with you, and form a sense of community with you, and provide not just their ambitions and aspirations, but also a clear understanding of what their challenges are, every solution that you create for them that you can productize is an asset. It's really important, even from a consultancy 101 standpoint, to constantly be trying to help fix something.
0: Yeah, yeah what do you say to people who confuse debate around these issues with populism or
1: are they they are so close that it's hard to tell the difference yeah. sometimes
0: yeah so how do you how do you address that because it, it you know you have globalists who listen to Conversations like these, and they wondered, "What is this really about?" Or is it
1: about the individual or the company trying to carve out a really nifty spot for themselves?
0: Yeah. Or is it about like uh, upending capitalism altogether? Like, what? No,
1: capital must stay. I like (laughs) capitalism. But yeah, how do we? Um, we... You're making me think about what McKinsey is going through at the moment, with the way in which they put their intel out there, and it turns out that it was not as reliable as it ought to be, and caused people to make business decisions and market shifts that maybe the market would not have had to go in I think you have to act with a lot of responsibility. At least that's what Spider-Man says in Stan Lee. <laughs> <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, but no,
0: it's a good quote. There,
1: yeah, there's populist, there are people that jump on populist bandwagons and individuals who think very, very deeply about the nature of problems and act selflessly or try to blow the whistle and ring the bell on certain things. The world has space for both of them. The thing about populism, though, is if it's not real, it doesn't last.
0: Mm. Yeah, it just doesn't. it's unsustainable.
1: Even if you're self serving. Right now, we have individuals that will crow about their blockchain solution. They haven't really got one. Mm. They might have a bunch of PDFs.
0: Yeah.
1: It's important for those in the space to take time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You can, you can take time, you don't need to rush to market so quickly.
0: What do you make of like the whole wave towards digitized currency? Probably I'd consider like the most mainstream idea most people think of as a synonym to digital assets. So you're clearly onto the virtues of what harnessing distributed ledger technologies could do when applied to currencies and...
1: We've been here before, haven't we? we Um, Originally on the British pound it said I promised to pay, pay the bearer the sum demand,
0: of Or the sum uh, of,
1: Yeah, whatever the, uh, the denomination was, right. upon demand. Yeah. And it was backed by whatever gold they had in their little stash. Very soon the gold didn't matter and the paper took over. And that was. I'm wondering whether cryptocurrency's history can be akin to that. And when I try to wrap my head around it, because I try to simplify things in my own head, because yeah. I have to explain it to the people is what are the things that people are going to use to back the value of the cryptocurrency? I like the idea of um, a trade leisure of goods that are moving back and forth and how much value they they gather as they come around our economy to back it. And then there are other people who have a totally different idea.
0: But isn't the problem that people are trying to capture value yeah. At, well, that's the desperate. That's the desperate gold rush right now, where it's like yes. instead of spending time thinking like you're thinking right now, they're trying to spin stories that justify an assignment of value without actually applying our minds like the to the
1: individuals who raise millions and millions in equity by issuing a token. Absolutely.
0: So instead of spending all the time and energy doing business to back up a security, we are all sitting here spinning stories to try and, and
1: making sure that it's not building into its DNA, the potential for a bubble or horrendous drops in value.
0: Yeah. Do you think, on the whole, you'd say that the headline vibes of cryptocurrency within the digital asset space has been good? For the for the genre, or more damaging than than useful? Do you think on the now, whole? I
1: think on the whole it's been good from the standpoint of disrupting the the current status quo yeah. and taking away some of the issues. Let's take Africa for example. Yeah. Oh, the CFA is going to be devalued. Oh my word! In a case like that, I think this could really help yeah. with getting people away from certain dependencies that are not in our control for managing the value of our currencies yeah. and pushing some sort of liquidity into the market, I would love to be able to say, yes, it's good for that. But when you hear of people losing massive amounts of value
0: yeah. from the like formal economy, the established economy, um, that's, you know, money that's making its way to the nether regions of.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and um, tangentially related, yeah. what happens if this just becomes another digital divide that puts rich and poor against each other?
0: Let's talk about that. M- make an argument for how this is not going to just create another concentration of power and economic value for people who already have it. How is this not going to end up in a repeat of what's come before?
1: I know history repeats itself from time to time. Uh, simple questions like will your grandmother take a digital currency? Now she might be able to understand a mobile wallet, that's always possible. Yes. Um, how do we get people educated to accept and see the worth of it? Yeah. There are some people that don't even have access to a computer. The Internet is still a distant place.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: How long before they are in the same place as everybody else to enjoy the same opportunities? So I've, I feel very strongly that there are still some people that will not be able to understand the need or the want of it. Take a look at what it was like when people started buying things online. There were people who were absolutely petrified of doing this, could not do it, didn't want to do it. Now you've got... Um, Jack Ma and Alibaba having a billion-dollar days of sales and exchange of products and services, being what, paid on the spot, not yeah. on credit?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cash money. In
1: cash money, right there. So
0: is it more hope or I think worry hope. for you?
1: No, I'm definitely for this, that much is true. I can see its value, but I see things operating side by side for quite some time. There are people who don't touch money physically at all. And there are people that will buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin be able to have, for example, um, a pension fund fully funded with cryptocurrency, that sort of thing appeals to me, yeah. maybe because the inability to extract it immediately and have it sit there in the future, feeling as if it's not being in, affected by today's fluctuations. That sort of is a, as an appealing thought. I don't know if yeah. it's accurate.
0: Wow. A ring fenced future value. It's That's like a very, a very
1: future put.
0: So here's here's what I, I suppose. I don't worry about it, but I, I certainly have a hard time imagining how it's not going to turn out this way. And, and I know I'm about to sort of share a fairly dark view, which is the internet, as far as I've experienced it, is really a pretty accurate reflection of all the virtues and ills of society. It's society's mirror in many respects, right? There's a lot of good in the world, granted, oh, yeah. but I think it's fair to say that the prevailing sentiment is. Not great when you consider that the vast majority of human beings aren't living the life they deserve or should have or that's at par with some of... You What's know. scarier
1: yeah. than yeah. that yeah. from this digital existence that we're in? Some people don't even know that there's a better life to be had or how to get it. Their minds haven't wrapped around or seen the visual prompt for, oh, my imagination has been sparked that where I am right now isn't where I have to be.
0: Said another way, the only internet some people will live and die to see is free basics.
1: Huh? (laughs) Ah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so given that context and this whole debate around digital assets, should we not really just sort of be pragmatic about how hard it's going to be to shape this new dispensation of technology and platforms?
1: We're evolving alongside our technology to be able to access it quicker and faster. Babies are born with their eyes open today. Back in the day, you'd have to ask a mother, is their eyes open yet? Are the baby's eyes open yet? We don't ask those questions. We are growing alongside our technology in faster lockstep than we ever used to.
0: Gotcha. So you have some faith in humanity's ability to iterate on perhaps some of the failings of the internet at large. Although and they
1: didn't predict that the internet would be for watching cat videos. <laughs>
0: so,
1: and, and I have feeling I'm that's guilty. Gonna,
0: I mean, people are literally buying. What are those uh, those bit are they bit pets? Yes. Those uh, those pets that you they can. They had digi pets before. Digi pets, and, and
1: there were pet rocks before that. Okay, so here we've gone from yeah. from Stone Age, yeah, pet rocks. Yes. We've gone to um, oh, what is that word? Where we went for analog to digital yeah. pets. Right. Now we're in virtual. Stuff keeps on repeating, but it's not the same.
0: Yeah. So overall, what's your sense? What keeps you hopeful? And what fear do you have to spend the most time and energy repressing around this issue?
1: Or repressing... Value. Yeah. Trying Value. to understand and get a deep appreciation for what it will be like in the future to assign Real value in these places, let it not be the, the purview of a few individuals making stuff so inaccessibly valuable that it's and that it can be wiped out in a heartbeat. That our physical efforts, and I'm not talking about mining uh, Bitcoin, but that there is some tangibility that everybody agrees to the value of things in a democratic sort of way. It's too easy to create these divides, and they frighten me if the human being, the human race, is to survive into the future as a better form of creation. How do we make sure that we use things for good? I like the fact that quote-unquote millennials are more interested in um, things that feel good and do good. They're not chasing um, material goods as much as they used to. Greed is good is not as popular as it used to be. Gordon Gecko, Great movie but um, that yeah. slogan didn't last forever. Yes. We are moving into a totally different time in the world. I spoke to somebody yesterday and I said let's stop asking young people what you want to do for a living. Ask them what problems do you want to solve in the world, and then I think the next dangerous question is, and how much do you think you're worth doing it, and how worthy are you to do it, and how much do you think you should be paid for it? And being able to collect how people think about these three things will create an index that will be quite interesting as to how human beings value their output in a digital environment. Because you still got to do a few things. So, but you are going to be getting paid and recognition and exchanging the the yeah. currency around it.
0: Yeah.
1: Not physically anymore. Yeah. That will go very far away but not completely
0: value and values it sounds like
1: oh yeah yeah so I guess I'm telling the absolute truth
0: well listen um, it's been an incredible privilege to chat with you we're around the corner from where we taped the show we, we had a lovely lunch um, who knows some dessert might happen more coffee who knows but thank you so much for sharing your insight with us
1: really yeah. uh, you, you caused my brain cells to, to just fire on a different vibration today oh, that's kind that's because kind. we spend all of our time doing we don't often lift our head up over the head road and take a breather like,
0: reflect yeah
1: yeah well Truly, is going on. How far away can I get from the sound bites?
0: Yes, we we like to go by oversimplification as the yeah. enemy, and um, and it's it's easy to actually turn issues and proponents of issues into the enemy you or know to
1: stay in a never-ending cycle of debate and not come to a conclusion and yeah, yeah. commit whether you're right or wrong
0: yeah.
1: to something with the idea that you can change your mind when you learn more. we love
0: this i love this which is you know hold your view strongly yeah. passionately but loosely mm-hmm. it's possible you know
1: absolutely
0: yeah like i mean it's okay tomorrow that i feel different or playing back this interview i go oh my word what a stupid question i asked like that was so painfully obvious as soon as the answer was, was given. And, and I feel like we don't get there unless we take the time to have these conversations, Absolutely. and which is you why, to. you know, we can't have them alone and it's a real privilege to have you on yeah, the show. Yeah,
1: that's like reminiscing with strangers.
0: It is, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's in your own head. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again, it was Vi- brilliant. Vi- thank Viola you. Llewellyn of Ovamba. If you don't know, now you know.
1: Yes, <laughs> thank you all.